everybody. I'm so grateful that you chose to take the time to be with us today. And I know I say that every week, but this week, I especially mean it because of what we get to talk about. Your lovable Keystone staff has been spending hours scheming and dreaming about what the next season looks like for us as a community. And as a result, I have a few exciting things to share with you at the end of the message. Uh, But before we get there, I wanted to let you know about a conversation I had recently at the Home Depot. Uh, For those of you who were wondering, I was there shopping for a new battery-powered 60-volt weed whipper, which obviously is both essential and awesome. But anyway, I was standing before the wall of options when I was approached by a man wearing a mask. He smiled, at least I thought he smiled, and asked me how things were going. Then he said this, I can't imagine how hard it must be for pastors right now. I I mean, if you can't meet on the weekends, what will become of church? How will you guys survive? Well, well, I responded by bragging about all of you and, and sharing a bit about my understanding of what Jesus intended the church to be. Then as I walked away from the conversation, I decided to rework today's message. Because the masked man's question is one that many people have been asking over the past few months. To be fair, much has changed for the church. We haven't been gathering together in our building on Sundays. Keystone Kids and Anthem, our student ministry, have had to move online. Until last week, we haven't been able to meet together in small groups. And we haven't been able to host weddings and funerals for more than like 10 people. So much has changed. It's only natural to wonder how the church can survive. Well, to answer that question, I'd like to consider another, and I think a better question. It it goes like this. What is church? In other words, what did Jesus have in mind when he dreamed of the organization that would carry his message, his teaching, and his mission into the world? And the answer Well, it may surprise you, even if you grew up in church, because Jesus didn't envision the church as a building or a series of events on Sunday mornings. In fact, the first church didn't have any of the things that we tend to associate with church. I mean, mean, there weren't Bibles or brands or choirs or bands or buildings or staff or hierarchy. I mean, heck, there wasn't even popcorn or ranch flavored popcorn topping. A tragic thought, I know. How did they survive? Well, if not all of that, then what did Jesus have in mind? Well, we get a clue from the first time Jesus is recorded as using the word church in the New Testament. Uh, Here's a bit of context. One day after spending a few years together, Jesus walks his disciples 30 miles north of the Sea of Galilee to have an incredibly significant conversation with them. It's a conversation they would only fully understand much later. Well, upon reaching their destination, he asked them, who do the people say the Son of Man is? Now, in Matthew's account of the life of Jesus, Jesus refers to himself as the son of man 28 times. I was bored this week and I counted. Uh, So he's basically asking his disciples, I mean, what's the word on the street? Who do people say that I am? And the disciples respond. Well, some say you're John the Baptist. 
Others say Elijah and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And they basically answer, Jesus, people think you're a reincarnated prophet. Which, if I'm honest, is a little weird for two reasons. One, first century Jews didn't really believe in reincarnation. And, and two, John the Baptist had only been dead for like a few months. So I'm not sure how Jesus could have been his reincarnation. But I digress. Jesus responds, hey, that's interesting. But, but who do you guys say that I am? I mean, you've had more time with me than anyone. And, and Jesus' disciple, Peter, who's often the most impulsive, often sort of the leader of the disciples, he replies, he says, you well, you're the Christ. You're, you're the Messiah. You're the anointed one. You're the one that we've been waiting for. The son of the living God. And I love Jesus' response to Peter. Here's what Jesus says. He says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. In other words, you're right, but you're not smart enough to come up with that on your own. Like God must have tipped you off. And as I imagine it, Peter would have been like, thanks a lot. Jesus' next statement, though, couldn't be any more significant. Here's what he says. He says, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, this proclamation that I am the Christ, I am the Messiah, the Son of the living God, on this rock, I will build my church, there's our word, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now, the word translated church in the English here is the Greek word ekklesia. And this is fascinating. Ekklesia has nothing to do with a physical structure or a building. It's best translated assembly or gathering. So in this conversation, Jesus promises Peter that he will build his church, his assembly or, or gathering out of people who gather around his mission and message. People who trust that Jesus was who he said he was and that he did what he said he would do. The church then didn't begin with buildings, even though buildings would eventually come. Instead, from the very beginning, Jesus intended the church to be a movement of people who came to believe in him and signed up to be a part of his mission in the world. Which brings me to another question. I mean, what mission did Jesus have in mind for his church? Well, we actually don't have to wonder. Jesus identifies it in another conversation with his disciples that occurred along the shores of the Sea of Galilee. That He described their mission this way. He looked at them and said, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl, because that would be ridiculous, right? Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. Jesus tells his followers that they are the light of the world, and they're to be on a mission to release light into the world. As he continues, Jesus explains specifically how they can do that. Uh, he says, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may, here it is, see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. In other words, Jesus tells his followers that with each decision they make to serve and love and give and forgive, they actually have the opportunity to push back the dark edges of this world and they are many. 
And they do so by the power of the light generated by their good deeds. Because, and we all know this to be true, ever since we were kids playing in the dark with flashlights, even the smallest of lights can chase away the deepest darkness. Jesus wants his followers to know that every time they serve people in need with no strings attached, every time they show grace to someone who doesn't deserve grace, every time they're patient when inconvenienced, every time they stop to help someone in need, every time they, they send an encouraging note, it's like they release a little light into the world. They make the world a little brighter and they may even inspire others to do the same. As believers in Jesus, they're called to live the way of Jesus so that the world will come to know Jesus. But by the way, that reality is right at the heart of what it means to be church. Now, because of their historic proximity to Jesus, his first followers clearly understood this mission. There wasn't much to get in the way of their mission, more than simply trusting in Jesus' sacrifice for their sins. They saw themselves as having joined a movement or a revolution or a church, resolutely determined, both as individuals and as a community, to love like Jesus loved and serve like Jesus served. In fact, in a letter in the New Testament called Acts, the author, a man named Luke, records the following picture of an early Christian community in the city of Jerusalem. He describes it this way. He says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and, and to prayer. He says, Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. He goes on, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need every day. They continued to meet together in the temple courts. He goes on, they, they broke bread in homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And then this, this is stunning. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It's like as the light of this new community began to shine, people on the outside of faith were drawn to the light. Friends, the description we just read is the purest picture we have of what Jesus intended for his church. They had no Bibles, brands, choirs, Bands, building, staff, or hierarchy. But they did have a common faith in Jesus that had changed the trajectory of their lives and they gathered together to encourage one another in their shared mission to release light into the world. All of which, at least for me, raises a really interesting question. Just two words. What happened? Why is that so different than the church that you and I so often have experienced? And I'm so glad you asked. And for the sake of time, I'm going to summarize hundreds of years of church history in about 30 seconds. Please don't call or email my old church history professor because this is not awesome. But basically, here's what happened. Over the next few centuries, the idea of the church as a missional gathering slowly faded. 
As more and more people came to believe in Jesus, structure, institution, and facility became increasingly necessary to care for all the people. That's not necessarily bad. Resources flowed into the church and eventually buildings were constructed. But all that organization came with a tragic downside. Eventually, church came to be thought of as a building you enter or an event you attend and not a gathering of believers with a divine mandate in the world. Over time, what began as a movement of distributing light and sharing truth devolved. And at its worst moments, the church became an insider-focused, hierarchical, ritual, and even at times destructive movement that had almost no connection with what Jesus had in mind. Now, I say all that to say when masked men approach me at Home Depot and elsewhere, it seems to happen a lot these days, and they say things like, how can the church survive the COVID-19 pandemic? It's a great question. It's an honest question. But when they ask me the question, I always say the same thing. The church is not a building. It's not just a weekend service. It's way better than that. Church is simply a term for a group of people who've come to believe in Jesus and who want to be a part of what he is doing in the world. Which means, technically, church hasn't been canceled or postponed for the past few months because while you can postpone a live event, you can't cancel a community of people who are intentionally moving to make things on earth a little more like God wants them to be. Now, obviously, this has all sorts of wonderful applications for followers of Jesus that do not require us to gather together on Sunday mornings in a building. I mean, think about it. The church is, is called to confront darkness with light. And friends, you are the church. I mean, the church is called to confront despair with hope. And you are the church. The church is called to confront hatred with love. And you are the church. The church is called to confront conflict with peace. And you are the church. The church is called to confront injustice with justice. And you are the church. The church is called to confront injury with forgiveness. And you are the church. The church is called to encourage the oppressed and the depressed. And you are the church. The church carries healing into the world. And friends, you are the church. So friends, as I see it, we have some work to do. I mean, we're surrounded by unprecedented needs in our families and in our community. I mean, I learned this past Thursday that one in four American workers has filed for unemployment since the pandemic hit. That's unbelievable. I mean, you may know someone who's wondering how they're going to pay their mortgage next month and perhaps they can stop wondering because maybe you can help them and in doing so release a little bit of light into the world. You may know someone who's too scared or vulnerable to venture out of their house, someone who's wondering how they're going to get the groceries they need and perhaps they can stop wondering because, because you can help them and in doing so you release a little bit of light into the world. You may know someone who's fighting debilitating fear, anxiety, and hopelessness, someone who's wondering if anybody cares about them and perhaps they can stop wondering because, well, because you can reach out to them to encourage them. And in doing so, release a little light 
into the world. By the way, if we can get that right, if you and I can live in a rhythm where we're releasing a little light every single day, then I'm telling you, when we get back together, and we will, it will be that much better. Because we have been reminded that our faith is so much more than a series of events on Sunday. Friends, our faith is an invitation to join a revolution of love. So how can the church survive the COVID-19 pandemic? The simple answer is that we just need to do the things that Jesus has been telling the church to do for 2,000 years. If you pushed me to summarize it, I'd say it like this. Don't just go to church. Be the church. Now, before we close, and as I promised, I wanted to give you an update about what our coming season is going to look like. I mean, at this point, as you know, the state of Michigan's stay-at-home order has been extended through the middle of June. And practically, this means that we won't be gathering together in our building for at least a month. Uh, Keystone's board and leadership team plan to meet again in early July to assess our options. And we're attempting to balance safety and experience in order to ensure that when we reopen, you're going to want to come and you're going to want to invite your friends to join you. In other words, if we were to reopen too soon and have to take your temperature at the door or require face masks to be worn, cap the auditorium at 10% of fire code and make you sit with your four preschoolers, we're not sure that anybody will want to come to an experience like that. At the same time, we know that the situation both locally and nationally is changing daily. And so we're monitoring along with you schools and colleges and stores and movie theaters and other churches to try to seek out the best practices. But know this, we cannot wait to gather again with you on Sundays. Seriously, on a personal note, talking to a camera in an empty room that seats a thousand is about as much fun as you can imagine. So in the meantime, I want to invite you to consider inviting a few of your friends and neighbors to watch this weekend service with you while we're not meeting together in a large group. You could follow the service with lunch and, and maybe even discuss the sermon content. The service will be available shortly after it runs live on our website. So if you'd rather do church in the evenings, followed by dinner, or heck, on Tuesday afternoon at four, feel free. It may feel a bit like the early church described in Acts 2, only with Wi-Fi and coffee. So that's an upgrade. In addition, please plan to join us this coming Thursday from 5.30 to 7.30 in Keystone's parking lot for a tailgate party. Uh, be sure to bring all your favorite tailgate foods and wear something to support your favorite sports team. Unless, of course, public service announcement, it's Ohio State. That just had to be said. So finally, I want to leave you with a couple of questions to consider from today's talk. And my hope is that you'll have a brief conversation with whoever you do life with. The questions go like this. Number one, before today's talk, how would you have described church? If someone said to you, what is church? How would you have responded? Number two, how did today's talk challenge your thinking? And maybe it didn't, and maybe it did, but you can be open and honest about that. I won't be offended. I won't be there. Uh, number three, how might you be light to someone 
this week? How could you release a little bit of light into the world? Because the darkness right now is everywhere and our families and our city and our community needs light more than ever. So let's not just go to church. Let's be the church. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, this is incredibly compelling content. Thank you that your dream for your church is so much bigger than a building. Thank you for calling us. Thank you for envisioning us. Thank you for giving us purpose and maybe something to do in this season when so often we don't know what to do. Open our eyes to the needs that surround us and give us the courage to take the light to the darkness. We gather online because 2,000 years ago you sent your one and only son, himself as light and darkness to show us the way and the truth and the life Please give us the courage we need to follow him wherever that takes us. But for today, we want to say thank you and we bless you in the matchless name of the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Grace and peace, friends. We'll see you next week.